We thank God for bringing us once again today to worship Him. Um, it is always a joy to be with you in fellowship. Um, it is always a joy to grow with you in understanding the Word of God. And one of my privileges is uh, bringing the Word of God to you. And I consider it a privilege um, because it also impacts me um, as I study uh, through uh, the Word, especially the Gospel according to Mark. Um, as I study through it, um, God works in my heart as well. And so it is wonderful to see how God is working um, here in the local church. We've been going through Mark, and um, the title of the whole series is Seeing the Son of God. And I think um, you, you, will, you will notice even today, as we go through Mark chapter 4, the last verses, that um, it is starting to click in the disciples' minds. Um, it is what Mark, you know, is at pains to to show them about Jesus Christ, and and is starting to to to, to click. And um, so we're looking at Mark chapter four, verse thirty-five um, to forty-one. And the title of the sermon this morning is the question: Who is this? Who is this? Let us pray. Indeed, Lord, we are oftentimes struck with awe and we find ourselves bewildered. We find ourselves in a place where we cannot even describe we thank you that um, indeed you have drawn us to yourself when we think about what you have done in our lives and how you have worked your grace. We are oftentimes struck with wonder and we sing together with um, John Wesley, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Be pleased, O oh Lord, to open our minds, open our hearts, and change our wheels for the sake of your name as we hear your word. Give me clarity of speech and clarity of thought. In Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Now, as we move along in our study in uh, the book of Mark, we would do well to review the purpose and theme of the gospel. If you remember the previous sermons, Mark and the other gospel writers had an agenda. They didn't just write. And the agenda was to tell us the good news about Jesus Christ. They were not writing biographies to give us insight into the man Jesus. Uh, though they, what they wrote was historically accurate, they were writing material intended to demonstrate and persuade that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ, the, the Messiah, the, the Son of God. The, the, the good news 
was that Christ had 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 brought salvation that the events of Jesus's life and and his teachings were selected and put together to present him as the Messiah the Savior who was crucified for the salvation of his people and who is now the risen Lord the theme of Mark's gospel is stated in the first verse. If you remember, when we started with the gospel of Mark, Mark opens his gospel by saying the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What Mark is saying to us is, I'm about to lay before you such wondrous words and actions of this man, Jesus, that you will see that he was and is no mere man, but the actual Son of God. Throughout his gospel, he begs the question, See, do you get it now, who he is? You will notice as you read through the, 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 the gospel that the, the problem with the people that Jesus encountered, the, the crowds, the Pharisees, the scribes, including the disciples, is that they did not get it yet. That's the problem, and, and that's what Mark wants to show them. He has been doing this in the chapters we've already read. Let me give you some examples. When you look at chapter 1, verse 7 to 8, we are told about John the Baptist that he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Again, in Mark chapter 1, we see in verse 23 to uh, verse 24, it says immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Now we see the testimony of even demons. And, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Again, in Mark chapter 2, verse um Verse, verse 5 and 6, um, when Jesus saw their faith, you remember the, the four friends who came with a man who could not walk, um, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. In chapter 3 verse 11, we see that whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the Son of God. The, the, the manner in which Jesus heals and, and exorcises demons presents him as, as one with authority over the created order. He is proclaimed Lord of the Sabbath, if you remember. Mark shows how the religious leaders regarded him as, as, as being possessed by the devil and how his family also regarded him as a madman. The, the unspoken challenge for us was to make our own decision. Do we see him as a liar, a lunatic, or as Lord? The theme of the parables was a challenge for the readers, right? To possess ears that really hear. That is to truly understand the truth about Jesus. Our present passage, if you notice in verse 41, closes with the question, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. 
Let's turn our passage and now pray that the, uh, as we pray in our hearts for, for ears to hear what is being taught. This passage divides, or I'll divide it into four stages. Now, look at the first stage. The first stage is the setting, right? The setting, verse 35 and verse 36. Look at verse 35 and verse 36. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was, and other boats were with him. I, I just remember that this passage was the first sermon that I've ever preached when I was 19 years old. And I'm so glad I get to stand and correct myself years later. Jesus, if we understand Mark right here, has spent the day teaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. From the description in, in chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, we understand that a large crowd would have gathered around and he likely had taught from a boat. That the evening has come, and as he had stated early in his ministry, he has to keep traveling in order to preach to as many people as possible. Mark tosses in the otherwise unknown element that there were other boats that accompanied the boat he and his disciples were in. Now look at stage two of the passage. We see the storm now. This is in verse uh, 37. Next we are told, and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Here the action begins. A big windstorm has come up which is not unusual for that lake. It is mostly surrounded by high hills and is itself more than 180 meters below sea level. In a, in a couple of places, there are gaps between the hills that create a funnel of winds and, inten and intensify their strengths. These winds can come suddenly, as in this case, and catch boaters of God. This is a serious situation. The boat, and it is, it is a boat, not a sheep. It is not merely being rocked by the waves. They are breaking over the boat, filling it with water so that it will, it will soon sink if the waves do not stop. The disciples realize that they are drowning, that, that, that it is a very real probability. Remember, at least four of them are experienced fishermen of that lake. So they've experienced a situation like this before. And now they know this is very serious. It is nothing like they have experienced before. They would have taken the measures they could to save the boat. And they know the real danger. Death is before them. And so it is not difficult for us to imagine their emotion when they look at their master sleeping peacefully in the back of the boat. Now, no doubt Jesus... Had, had a tiring day. We have all experienced such tiredness that caused us to sleep through noise and activity. But really, to sleep in a small boat that is being tossed by waves that are crushing into the boat, 
is that there's also the roaring sound of wind and waves and and no doubt the voices of the men shouting to one another they are panicking that must have been one comfortable cushion wasn't it look at verse 38 but he was in the stand asleep on the cushion and they woke him up and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing they, they must have shaken him to, 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 to get him up. Their, their, their words are certainly intended to be a rebuke to him. One commentator noted that such rebukes by the disciples indicate that Jesus' status as the divine son of God was still veiled to them. Otherwise, they would not have spoken so rudely to him. And I have, a, I have no doubt that that is true, and you will hear more about it. But, uh, goodness, what else would you expect? Ah, excuse us, teacher. Sorry to bother you. If you don't mind, we've got a little problem we thought you might, you, you, you could help us with. Uh, do, you, do you think that, that that's how they would respond? These, are, uh, 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 these men are not anticipating danger here. It has fallen on them. They, they are struggling to keep from being swept into the lake. And, and Jesus is sleeping. He's sleeping. I'm sure they, they are going to fast at him. Don't, don't you care? Look at verse 39. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. In Matthew's telling of the same story, Jesus speaks to the disciples first and then calms the storm. The image I have is, is he wakes up a bit annoyed and starts to speak to the disciples. Why are you? When a wind breaks over the boat, he looks over and, and, and at the lake and yells, cut it out. Then everything goes quiet. If I were making an animated film, I'd give the wind and waves angry faces that turn sheepies when Jesus speaks. Jesus is like a dog owner whose large dog goes berserk whenever someone is at the gate. You, the visitor, look through the gate and see a vicious dog standing against the door, barking furiously. The owner comes out of a room, rubbing the, the, the sleep from his eyes. He's, he's fumbling at the lock on the door, while, and all while the dog is, is feverishly trying to get hold of you. It, it can't wait. You start to tell the owner, no, 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 I'll come back tomorrow. I'll come back some other time. And he sharply commands the dog to be quiet. The dog ha hangs his hand and sheepishly walks away. So in the same way, Jesus commanded the wind and the waves to be quiet. And they became quiet. Now, notice stage three of our passage, the rebuke. And now that he has come, he, he, he has some peace, not to mention the full attention of the disciples, he speaks to them. He said to them, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? I look at this remark honestly and I want to ask Jesus, are you serious? 
Come on, it, it is not a matter of a storm brewing. The storm has come. That the boat is filling with water. It is a case in which the next wave could mean the end of the boat. And Jesus is sleeping. He's not awake. He, he, he is by beating his time like a commander, watching the enemy approach nearer and nearer, ready to give the command at just the right time. That the mus- their muscles are strained to the limit, and he wants to know why they are afraid. He fixes on their face, or rather, their lack of faith. Again, you ask yourself as you read the passage, what does he expect? Were they supposed to just sit in the boat patiently and wait to see what happens next? Uh, How long were they supposed to sit? Uh, Till the water in the boat covers their feet, their their knees? Till it has sunk the boat so low that another cup will submerge it? Should they not have woken up, awakened Jesus? Or maybe the problem is they did not exercise faith early on. Maybe they should have awakened Jesus when the winds first came and asked him to handle the situation. Perhaps he's upset with them for trying to save themselves and letting things go out of hand. Or was the problem with their sharp speech? They don't ask to be saved. Maybe that's the problem. They, they, they lack faith to believe that he can save. Matthew says, though they, that they, they did ask to be saved and still received uh, he, he says that, that they, they still asked to be saved, and they still received the same rebuke. I would have been nicer. After I calmed the storm, I would have turned to my disciples and said something like, Are you okay? I, I guess that shook you up a bit, didn't it? Everything's all right now. Don't worry, it's all handled. Why is Jesus so hard on them? Keep that thought in mind. The response of the disciples is intriguing and it might help us out. Look at verse 31. 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and, and the sea obey him? I would have expected a couple of other responses. One would be excited, yay, way to go, teacher. That that is amazing. Even the wind and the waves obey you. Or a contrite response to him, "Uh, sorry, teacher, we we, we should have known all along that you wouldn't let us down. But instead of being either grateful or sorry, they are terrified. Who is this? Of what are they terrified of? Uh, the, the storm is over, right? The, the, their beloved teacher is in the boat with them and has shown that he will protect them, even if he's a little upset with them. Why should they be afraid? And, and note this, they don't even speak to him. They, they talk among each other. Indeed, they seem to be ignoring what he's telling them. He has rebuked them for, for being afraid and lacking faith, but they ignore the subject altogether and they caucus among each other. What is going on? Who is this? Now, let us look at stage four. In stage four, we see now interpretation. You ask yourself, what is going on? Is that the mystery here of the incarnation is being played out the god 
who became man is fully displayed in his glory here. The human Jesus slept from weariness. The divine Jesus gave orders that his creation obeyed. It is that mystery here that the man Jesus was more than a man. Uh, That struck through their bones and into their souls and it scared them. They thought they knew him. Uh, certainly better than anyone else. They, they, they thought they had a, a handle on him and they had uh, as much faith as anyone in, in, in what the, the man Jesus could do. But what he had just done was not an act of a mere man. Who is this? We are back to the question I said Mark would raise throughout the gospel. That is where he is taking us. Um, as the readers, who is the one called Jesus? And he's calling us to see the Son of God. Well, the, the moral we, we, we normally take from this story is that we should trust God and Jesus to take care of us when the storms of life come our way. And, and, and we do struggle with that, don't we? Aren't we always saying we need more faith? We are always down on ourselves for letting the troubles of life get to us. We say things like, I I wouldn't be worried if I just had more faith. Or I know I would be victorious if I just trusted God more. But, But the problem with the disciples is not that they didn't have enough faith to trust Jesus in the storm. The problem is that their faith was not directed at the real Jesus. Their understanding of Jesus was incomplete. And uh, you remember when I said that, why is Jesus focusing so much on teaching? He, he focuses so much on teaching. He, we, we, we see him every time where the crowds are with him, teaching them. Because he wants to give them a proper picture of who he truly is. They just saw him as one who gives them fish and bread. Or they saw him who heals them, who, who, who exercises the demonic spirits. They just saw that. But he teaches them in order to give them a fuller and, 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 more, and more solid picture of who he is. Their understanding of Jesus was incomplete. That's why Jesus meant, um, that's what Jesus meant when he rebuked them for, for, for having no faith and why he was so tough for them. They lacked faith in what he could do because they lacked knowledge of who he truly is. That's why he said, do you still have no faith? He was actually saying, do you still not get it after being with me for so long? Remember in John chapter 14, he said that to Philip. Philip, when Philip says, show out the father, and you've been with me. For this long, you should know by now. Uh, I was talking to, to Pastor um, Doug Van Meter about Mark, and I was telling him, um, you know, the, the, the line that I see in Mark. And he says, you know, um, the gospel of Mark is the only gospel where we see Jesus frustrated at his disciples, constantly frustrated at his disciples, because they don't know who he is. They are not getting it. The disciples' response here indicates this is the problem. They don't say, wow, I didn't know he had that much power. The the power is not what they are terrified of here. 
The issue is not about how much Jesus is capable of doing. They exclaim, who is this? Who is this person whom we've known to be a special man of God? For sure, uh, but, but they, 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 they still know nothing more than a man. Even the winds and the waves obey him. These are Jewish disciples. Remember, not even not, not, they are not New Age devotees who think that they just need to have the right perspective to account for miracles. They know who alone nature obeys. They know that nature obeys its creator. That they probably have already read about Jonah, uh, you know, where, where God sends the storm. They know that it is Yahweh himself who is in control of nature, of the winds and the waves. And they are wondering if Yahweh is the only one, who then is this? I said that the moral we normally draw from the story is about our need to trust God and Jesus more to help us through the storms of life. And we should do that. We trust God, show more faith, show faith in Him when times are tough. But the solution is not to try to manufacture more faith. As though we need to increase the intensity or the quantity of faith we now have. May we say, if I would just trust more, believe more, have more faith. It is natural to think this way, isn't it? But I cannot find a similar expression in the Bible. What I find is that we are to trust, to believe to have faith. Indeed, Jesus states that we merely need to have faith of a mustard seed to do great works. If we don't need more faith, then what do we need? More knowledgeable faith. If the disciples had truly known who Jesus was, they would have known what to do. Indeed, if they had truly understood what his mission as Messiah was about, they would have avoided a lot of poor faith problems. They, they often despaired because they could not quite figure out uh, 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 you know, themselves who Jesus was and what he had come to do. They were close, closer than anyone else, but still they could not fully understand it all. And I submit to you that that is our problem today. You see it in the popular approach to preaching, isn't it? What should characterize more preaching? Um, that's the question that uh, most preaching gurus ask. And they say practicality. The churches advertise that, you know, come to uh, X church where worship is lively and preaching is practical. I was listening to a book. You, 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 it's possible to listen to a book um, about a very successful preacher who was known for showing how God cares about and is involved in everyday life. Church growth, expe uh, church growth experts um, tell us that people come wanting answers and help for common experiences, uh, parenting, um, relationships, the workplace, and so on. That they want to know how to have more faith, how to uh, be better Christians, how to uh, be better at evangelizing, praying, and overcoming sin. Those things are important, aren't they? They're important, and the Bible addresses them. God cares about how well you do uh, at math, you know, your math test, or how you work at your job. But listen, what truly matters in life is knowing God 
and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The height, let me say this, the height of foolishness is understanding the gospel and rejecting it. That is the height of foolishness. The problem with us Christians is that we, we think that Christianity is 101 stuff, right? Which we have mastered early on. Now we want to get on with the deeper issues of living as good Christians. We realize, of course, that God is, a, is complex. And, and we think that's for theologians to get into, not the common Christian. But it is for us. It is for us. And I don't mean we all have to learn esoteric words or the precise logic of theologians, but we should never have enough of exploring the greatness of God. Right? Which including exploring the greatness of the Son of God. We should never regard the gospel as chapter one in, 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 in the book of Christianity or as fully covered in a booklet. The, the gospel is simple and it can be summarized in a brief manner. I'll give it to you now. Jesus Christ has come to save sinners from sin. But this, the very simplicity of the gospel points us to the truth that are to take us to the heights of wonder and to maturity. Oftentimes we, you know that saying, that English saying that uh, um, familiarity breeds what? Contempt, right? The more you become familiar with people, the less and less, um, you know, amazed you are, um, the, the, the less impressed you, you become. Because you, you know, you, you are impressed in, uh, in your wife or in your husband and then you get married, <laughs> right? You, you, you become, you get closer with someone in a friendship, you, you are impressed about them and then over a while you, you start to see that they're just a, a merely uh, a man, uh, a woman. But with God, the closer and closer we get to Him, the closer we draw to Him, the more complex we see Him in, the more awe in us grows, the more wonder of the majesty, the glory of God grows. We are like Isaiah who went into the temple, who was, you know, a priest all his life, who, who had been, you know, and heard the things of God all his life. And, and he goes into the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up and he exclaims with wonder, woe is me. Familiarity with God must grow in us a greater awe of God. At least we are privileged to have the whole revelation of God in the scriptures. And so we can answer the question of the disciples, can't we? Who is this? Mark says, he is the son of God. He is the Messiah. He's the one who came to give his life as a ransom for many. He is God incarnate. God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. He is the one who holds the world by the power of his word. 
He is the one who is unmatched. He is the one who is incomprehensible. He is the one who loves, who is mercy, who is full of grace and truth. He is Jesus the Messiah. Who is this? They ask. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, God himself. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord. May we grow with wonder each and every day. Whenever we draw near to you, may we never become so contemptful that we live our lives in such a way that they disregard you. May we know that you are truly present in our lives and and live believing that truth. Thank you that we have the knowledge of who you are. Lord, where our knowledge lacks, teach us. Inform us. Help us to worship as we ought to worship. Help us live as we ought to live. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.